It's Zach Servideo from Boston Speaks Up. I'm here with the sponsor, Reed. Silicon Valley Bank is a proud sponsor of Boston Speaks Up for more than 35 years. Silicon Valley Bank has helped innovative companies and their investors move bold ideas forward fast. SVB provides targeted financial services and expertise through its offices at 53 State Street in downtown Boston and in Newton and innovation centers around the world. With commercial, international, and private banking services, SVB helps address the unique needs of Boston's innovators. Learn more at svb.com. Dave Melville from from Bowden Group. How are you? Good. I'm doing well. Wonderful. Thanks, Zach. Wonderful to have you here Thank on you. Uh, Boston Speaks Up. Zach's your video here from Boston Speaks Up. This is our third time uh, going with video for a Boston Speaks Up podcast. Dave, awesome. Thanks for joining us. Third time's a charm, I think. I think we're, we're getting better with each yeah. one. Feels weird. I'm usually the one interviewing. Today you're interviewing me. Cool. So and, and hey, listen. It's easier to be in your role than my spot. Yeah. If you, it, I, I love interviewing, but I, switch. I, I'm happy to be an interviewee. <laughs> so if at any point in time, you know, you start to get inquisitive. Excellent. You can start firing on my way. And since I just came back from JP Morgan and I'm exhausted, if I fall asleep, kick me. That's cool. Water on me. We'll That's go. cool. I'll kick you and it will be recorded. Excellent. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, so JP Morgan, where was, where was that? San Francisco. Nice. And how long were you in town? So it's where all the biotech executives go and digital health executives go and investors in those space go every year for this annual pilgrimage of meetings, drinking and general torture. But yeah. it's an amazing event. We had a party that had um, just over 500 people at all executives in the biotech, digital health space. The energy is absolutely amazing there right now. The optimism is crazy. You know, in digital health, which there really hasn't been any, ma- well, there have been, but not a ton of major exits. Mm-hmm. There's still just a tremendous amount of enthusiasm and, and money pouring into it. So it was as much as it's painful to go out there, everybody yeah. from Boston knows this. It's, <laughs> yeah. It is meaningful and still important. Cool. So I'm curious, let's double click on the JP Morgan event. Yeah. And you mentioned in the pre-podcast question and answer with regards to sort of the bio, biopharma space, um, and, and where it intersects with technology, mm-hmm. but specifically artificial intelligence yeah. and machine learning. Right. Is that was that a big trend out of the time you spent in San Francisco last yeah, week? It's you know, it's a really good question. So it's <clears throat> it's a big discussion right now. Um, obviously, a lot of money is pouring into that space with the investors. Um, companies are emerging that are that are small local companies, like companies like Foundation Medicine that do um, diagnostics. A good client of ours is trying to figure out how they use AI to analyze genes. Um, you know, it's in in the Valley and, and out here, they're talking about, you know, Moore's Law, where, you know, memory gets doubled and half the price every two years. When the pharmaceutical industry, every two years, it becomes twice as expensive and twice as long to get a drug developed. So mm-hmm. obviously it's going in a direction that's not sustainable. Right. And I think whoever can figure that out, whoever can figure out how to, if it's possible to edit a gene like it is editing code, yeah. it's going to be really important. And that's sort of the part where, you know, code and machine learning can help sort of expedite the process of, right. of improving that 
e- equation. Right. And yeah. then use companion diagnostics that can, you know, better target who a drug is going to work for, using AI to develop drugs more quickly. I mean, there's a lot, lot going on in that space. We think that's going to be one of the fast-growing spaces moving forward. Um, clearly, um, you know, um, all the whole, the entire gene editing space, everybody is, is talking about. Um, one of our clients, um, Generation Bio, which is an awesome company, I saw was listed as the most talked about private company, JP Morgan, which is amazing, thinking of all the companies that are, yeah. that are out there right now. And they are in, you know, somewhat of the gene editing space. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. With a special way of doing it. Yeah. That you're, so clearly just from chatting with you for just a couple of minutes, like you're, um, the proficiency that you have sort of speaking about the market is really compelling and and you and you come at the you come at the industry from an interesting perspective i think what's it yeah because i'm a government major so i don't know anything so i can bring (laughs) tremendous lack of knowledge (laughs) there there you go Uh, and i actually kind of want to go and that's maybe this is a nice way of sort of um going back in time a little bit because i'm curious like the trajectory you took and you know you're now you you founded your ceo of you know the about the Bowden group um and in you know i mentioned you know i mentioned the Bowden group to our CEO of Fabric Media, who's been who's from Boston, but he's been out in LA for Denver and LA for a decade. Yeah. He's like, oh yeah, he's like, those guys are great. Yeah, and it's just like it, you, the the name rings true, like mm-hmm. coast to coast. Um, big, you know, Mayo Clinic digital platform mm-hmm. executive hire in December. Um, so it's interesting the um, the perspective that you have, and I think for the for the Boston you know community and for Boston speaks up in trying to highlight different uh, voices from different yeah. lanes in the community. Mm-hmm. I think the um, the hat that you wear, helping understand the bu- businesses yeah. and think strategically on behalf of your clients mm-hmm. and then helping be sort of a, a marriage counselor between humans and, okay. and organizations. We won't answer that to my wife. <laughs> she would probably say I'd be a very bad marriage counselor. Oh, there you anyway. go. <laughs> <laughs> so th- there's, um, there's a lot, there's a very unique, um, it's, it's a unique, it takes a unique human to just sort of do that. And then okay. you have many unique humans that now work at, um, at, your, at your company. So I, I would love to kind of go back in time okay. and sort of talk about the, the interesting path that okay. you that you took. So so let's go all the way back. Okay. Why'd you repeat the eleventh grade? Um, <laughs> that is a. Um, we we like to call it re-experiencing the eleventh grade. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I decided to do a good over do over. Yeah. I was yeah. so so I did it. Now everybody repeats grades. Right. Yeah. Back then it wasn't quite as popular, and basically I'd spend a lot of time not studying. Okay. And then when I fi- suddenly started to realize that maybe I should think of focusing with my life. Uh, my parents were kind enough to let me re-experience the 11th grade. And I, I went to Tabor Academy for a mm-hmm. couple of years, left Bedford High and cool. start, started to actually apply myself for a period of time. Nice. Yeah. What was it like? Um, so you grew up in Bedford. Yep. You mentioned from a mentor perspective, yeah. uh, both your parents yeah. were your mentors. Yeah. What were the different influences that mom and dad gave uh, to you? Yeah, it's a good question. So um, I think what my parents did best Um, which all of us parents hope to do, um, is they were great role models. They they acted the way that I think they wanted us to behave. And both in caring for each other, taking care of us, working hard. And, you know, they were both also very responsible to the community. And that was a part of our life growing up. We were, 
you know, my parents early on, they were, um, I can't remember what they called them. I think they were like um, ghost buyers or something where they would go out to apartments that, um, and, and rent them um, in areas where African-Americans or other minorities were not allowed to rent them. And they would flip and let the person come in. So they oh, would, amazing. They would come in as the, yeah. as, the, as the ghost buyers for them, for houses and apartments. We were the um, one of the first families involved in Metco, and we had... Um, Girl Teresa Tillman lived with our family um, for like six years during the week. Can you um, explain Metco, like what that? Yeah, what so that that's is? basically where um, kids from Boston um, that are of color come out into the suburbs to go to school. And back when it started, um, it's right after the housing crisis, and it was excuse me after the busing crisis. Controversial. It was controversial the in the towns yeah. because yeah. the towns thought. Most of the, the most of the people were very receptive to it, and all mm-hmm. towns had a minority of people that you know the world's going to were loud, right? Yeah, At least yeah. when it started, I think now it's fine. Sure. And so when it started, um, the kids would come out, and they also they also couldn't get if they couldn't play a sport because the bus would only leave at that time during a certain time. Mm. So if they wanted to play a sport, it was not an option to them. It wasn't an ideal situation. A lot okay. of bus rides, and yeah. So we got involved with it, and then our. Teresa wound up living with us during the week so she could play sports. Amazing. So that was end around to, to help these students from the city to play sports is to just, they, they basically moved into the home during I, the week. Then uh, that's what they did with, Teresa did with us. I, yeah. I don't know. If was that not work. like a part of the program? Is no, that something you were able to broker that with Teresa's parents? Yeah, with her mom. Yeah. Yeah. With her mom? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's that's really. Are, so are, they you, were are you friends to, are you like she's, friends to this she's day? Still like, part of the family, she's part yes. Yeah, she's family. Yeah. That's so neat. Um, I'm particularly intrigued about these. T- I talk to my wife all the time. Like, I want more. Like, I, I, I want more. I love people in the home, and and uh, I would love. Like, I like the the intersectionality of sort of like you know students from Boston getting experience in the suburbs. I just bought a house in Beverly. Oh, nice. And um, and I've just been thinking a lot about like socioeconomic. Um, impact and change and causes that I can be involved with. Yeah. So it's, it's something that comes up There's a lot. There's plenty of things to do, Zach. Oh, yes. There are. Yeah. There, are many, there are many things. I can give you a list. Yeah. We got a little con- consort we're starting to build just for people who've been on the podcast. Like, um, well, you're, you're um, the Bowdoin Group backs Hack Diversity. Hack Diversity. And so, you know, cares, you know yeah. Resilient Coders. Yeah, we know Resilient Coders. And David yeah. Delmar Santiez has been on the yeah. podcast. I discovered another um, interesting sort of burgeoning sort, you know, in that lane that Resilient Coders is in out in Lawrence and Methuen, which is where I grew up in Methuen. My yeah. wife grew up in Lawrence and it's called Tech for Hood. Oh, and they're teaching, cool. com- teaching um, computer skills and coding yeah. to, um, to young people um, of color in mainly in Lawrence and Roman Hackes, who founded Tech for Hood, is an official Snapchat lens creator. Oh, wow. So the kids who are participating actually are creating lenses that are in the Snapchat app. Yeah. So it's really making tech real to them. Oh, God. Um, so, yeah, there's, but then these are happening in sort of almost disparate places. Mm-hmm. Um, and so kind of creating connections between those um, groups and those frameworks right. to share is, is one of the things I'm like, yeah, well, good. what can I do with my skill set? Well, I can help learn and share and connect. Right. Like the other one, the other one I'll mention to you might, you, you may know um, Larry Gennari. Mm. He's a, um, he's a lawyer. He's a BC law adjunct professor, lawyer for a lot of Boston tech companies. Mm-hmm. And he just founded this really cool program at Boston college called project entrepreneur. Mm. And it's all about um, it focuses on folks with criminal records mm-hmm. and helping 
support them to become first-time entrepreneurs. Oh my. Yeah. Okay. So it's like, in, in I moved, yeah. lived in LA for six years. And one of the things that drew me back to the town, the, the, you know, the city beyond friends and family and just what I missed about the innovation community. And you mentioned this in your pre-podcast answers. People really are willing to like help oh, yeah. their common neighbor and man. And there's so many interesting um, solutions to big problems the yeah. world's facing that are being solved in, right. in Boston and adjacent right. communities. I mean, when, when Hack Diversity started, you know, I just had lunch with Jody Rose today. I mean, the growth is crazy, but people assumed that kids that didn't come from the big colleges, kids, kids that were immigrants here for just a few right. years, wouldn't be able to code and perform at a high level at, yeah. at um, companies in Boston. And Hack Diversity has proven that is absolutely false, yeah. that this talent exists yeah. and the companies that that are getting these kids are re-upping right away. Yeah. The numbers are growing, yeah. you know, doubling each year. Yeah. I mean, we have this tremendous pool of talent yeah. all around us. Yeah. And yeah. it's organizations like Hack Diversity that are that are tapping into it. And yeah. the companies love having the Hack Diversity kids, not only for their productivity, but just for the energy yeah. they bring. Yeah, it's amazing. That's the stat David gave me from Resilient Coders is the um, 95% of, of young people um, and pe- people of color only that go through resilient coders graduate 95 percent graduate and have an average starting salary of ninety six thousand yeah. dollars and just and he's you know he, we were at progress connect down at gillette stadium the progress partners folks yeah. and and david was on stage with um one of his one of the young he was a young person from i think they may have been from roxbury um, but they had participated in the program several years ago and had this just amazing ascension in their yeah. career. And it's just, it's amazing just to unlock all yeah. this opportunity That's right. for folks. That's yeah. Right. So, all right. So let's, so you, you, you leave, um, re-experience you, 11th grade. Yeah. You re-experience yeah. 11th grade. Yeah. You go to Tabor Academy Tabor. and then you go yeah, graduate straight, from Tabor. You graduate from Tabor. <laughs> Good job. You didn't screw that yeah, up. Did not screw it up. You felt you, you, you studied enough. Studied enough. Yeah. Yep. And, and, you, and then you went to Bowdoin, did you say for history? Uh, government. Oh, government. History minor. Well, you got to study yeah. history to study government. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't exactly do, um, you know, um, chemistry and quantum physics there. I did right. history and government because I like this. Yeah. <laughs> I, I went to school for communications. Surprise, surprise. But I did a, a minor concentration yeah. in history. It was fun. History is fun. History is fun. What, I, what I loved at school was I loved, I loved. I was actually more interested in seeing how people interacted and I became, I would love the, um, you know, I would love the small classes where we would talk and I would always be curious who articulated themselves the best, who emerged as the leader, you know, how people communicated. And I was actually much more in the people interaction than I was, you know, in the studying um, and more involved, more interested in being involved in different things in the school than the study. But anyway, so so I, I survived there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you survived there and you, as you went through your four years, did you, did you, you weren't on a seven year plan, were you? I was not on the uh, the four year plan. I was on the four year. My parents were very happy with that. For four years and then you're on your own. There you go. And so you networked really well. You were a people person. So you, and, and what was the first gig out of 
Is that like an interview question? Like, what's your greatest strength? I'm a people person. People person. Yeah. 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 What's your biggest weakness? Well, I'm, you know, I'm too much a perfectionist. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're good. I'm a people person, right? Yeah. And a perfectionist. Yeah. Exactly. So you're a people person perfectionist, which has some nice alliteration to it. Yeah. I'm actually not. Yeah. Okay. So you've somehow fooled everyone into being a people person. And then I went on and sold Pringles potato chips. There you go. Procter and Gamble, right? Right, and so you went to Procter and Gamble, yeah. which, as you said, um, pre-podcast, very it's a big training ground. Yeah. For talent, and and you got exposed to sort of, you know, basically how to be an adult, how to be a professional. Like, what did you take away from working at, for P and G? Uh, so P and G was awesome because, you know, I tried to explain to my kids that, you know, selling Duncan Hines and Pringles potato chips and. And Jif peanut butter was a highly desirable job because now you have all these options. They yeah. don't really believe me. Yeah. Um, but it was it was amazing because, you know, P and G taught you how to respect the work that you did. Mm-hmm. You know, do things right the first time. Don't do things halfway. They they demanded excellence. I mean, the jobs were very hard to get, and they were very willing to replace you if you um, didn't do if you weren't doing a good job. Um, you know, it was never. I loved the people and the learning there. Um, selling products was not like my thing. Uh, I, I will say I had a, my, my sort of turning point mentally was I had a, a Milli Vanilli moment. Okay. Now all the millennials are, t- your thousands of millennials listening are, are Googling Milli Vanilli. So they, they won the best, best music from from actually lip syncing and that's when they knew they were we had a million vanilla show up with doing high school yeah there you go right yeah. so and i'm a millennial so you know yeah so, yeah. Yeah. so, so they would do all great till yeah. they won the best till yeah, they won yeah. the award then they were done like, yeah. so we had a um we at at the holiday season at thanksgiving png would sell a ton of stuff and you had to take a picture of what you sold to prove that you were selling stuff sent to your boss so i came in and the end cap that's where they've had the display was sort of meh I couldn't find the grocery manager, so I went in the back room and I just built a display. I didn't sell it, I just built it. Yeah. Took a picture of it with all my other, sent it in. My boss loved it, sent it up the command chain and my my display that I had built by hand became the sale of the of the season on the oh, Procter really? & Gamble magazine. Oh, wow. And I'm getting thanks and how'd you yeah. sell? I'm like, I'm like yeah. I did not sell this. Yeah. I'm, I'll, yeah. I have to leave now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I built it, people, I didn't sell it. <laughs> So anyway, I'm like, yeah, time to move on. Yeah. Loved it, but yeah. you know. Okay. Not, not yeah. much. Yeah. yeah. Before I get uncovered, I don't yeah. want yeah. to, I have to move. Yeah. Before you have your Millie Vanilli. Oh yeah, before I have my Millie Vanilli. Uh, I see. I yeah. see now. I'm on to you. Uh, so from, from P&G, what, 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 like how many years were you at P&G? Was that, that was uh, right was, after school? Uh, two years. Yeah. Two years. Yeah. That first job out of school where you get that professional treat, like I, I worked at Schwartz Communications mm-hmm. for a little over two years, yeah. Big, bigger, more bureaucratic but like learned everything really well but at, at about two years i was like okay yeah like i, I like for me i went to cambridge innovation center yeah. from there and i was like needed needed many shiny objects around me to, to keep me stimulated but um but so what did you do after two years like what was your what were you thinking to yourself like what was kind of and your your father had built the business yeah. right that was there a recruiting business yeah my dad had your, yeah your dad did yeah. so was that in the back of your mind, something that you thought maybe you also would do at that point when you were leaving PNG? Uh, yeah, so, um, I mean, people don't grow up thinking they're going to be 
you know, in the search business or headhunters, mm -hmm. even when your dad is one, you don't think of that. But, um, but so he started, he started a company, Winter Wine, that's in Waltham. So I grew up listening to it. I understood it. Right. And then when I, um, when I realized I didn't like selling products, I realized that I was better connected with people. Um, I wanted to be more involved in the service business of some sort. It became a logical choice to me. And I went to work for a company actually selling their contracting business. So I was walking around selling. Mm -hmm. And then they, um, they wound up, the, the, this, the president of the company, he had a contract business and a full-time business. He sold the contract business and because he was running for Senate. And they sold everybody in the contract business except me was brought up, was sold away and I stayed with the team. So I'm not sure if that's a compliment or really bad, like like the deal would have died had I gone over with it or they yeah. wanted to keep me. Yeah. People would argue that yeah. over drinks quite a bit. Yeah. Most thought that I would have killed the deal, you know, <laughs> if I left. But anyway, so I stayed and then I was in the perm business. Okay. You know, and then I wound up... Um, working for another company um, and really enjoyed it. Um, getting into the biotech and so they just sort of placed me into it. I didn't really understand it was pharmaceuticals back then. Yeah. And was loving that. And my boss um, was 39, he died of a heart attack suddenly. Jeez. And he had two kids, uh, I, excuse me, he had a pregnant wife. It was, yeah, it was really bad. He was a great guy. Had He That's lived, awesome. I may still be with them. Yeah. And so anyway, they. It was good people that were still there, but everybody's life, all of our lives in the company, in yeah. this office, just went up in the air. Everyone was destroyed. Everybody yeah. was, yeah. And, um, you know, and, and that. What year was this? That was 94. Okay. And he died, he probably died in 93. It was just shortly before it. But yeah. all of us. Um, and so at that point, it was just sort of time for me to move to the next phase of my sure. life. So I started, I started the Bowdoin Group without any master plan other than, you know what, I just need to, yeah. my, need to move now sure. because of this. And was, Bo was Bowdoin Group officially founded in 94? Yeah. 94? Yeah. Okay. So which was pretty good timing leading up to that for sort of like big. Yeah, it was boom. great timing. Yeah. Well, yeah. So the, you know, at that point there was, there was just the pharmaceutical industry was just beginning to come into its own. It's, you know, the telecommunications get deregulated and that was going, yep. the internet, it was going great. I was a genius. <laughs> I was a brilliant business person. Yeah. Couldn't make a mistake. Yeah. And then in 2001, yeah. what happened? I became an idiot. <laughs> I, I realized I actually didn't know anything. I well, realized did you my feel first 10 years were luck. Like many, <laughs> like many did, you like, oh my God. Yeah, did you feel <laughs> overextended? Like, did you have to downsize a little bit? What was 2001 um, like for you? For, for so um, 2001 was um, tough. Um, it won one of the, you know, we had a really good team. You know, we were, I think we might have gotten up to 15 people or something. And I, I can tell you, I overestimated my abilities and thought that I thought that a lot of the situational things yeah. were were more to my skill than yeah. actually I was sitting in a, I was rising with all the boats. Yeah. Um, but I think we were, we were responsible about it. We, and in 2001, it was like, yeah, you know what? Um, not only did we all really that the event itself was devastating. It was crazy devastating. My, um, didn't have any family members that died. My, my wife's brother, Kip's brother, um, we couldn't find for a while and he, mm -hmm had just made it out before the building came down. Mm -hmm. um, but it was, um, 
you know, that was just life changing event. But it was also it was also a moment where you realize that, you know, what, no matter how hard you work, um, no matter what you do, um, you're not owed anything. Yeah. You know, bad things happen in life and there's not a lot you can you. You're not owed a perfect life. Nobody yeah. owes you that, and bad things and bad and things can things happen. Are out of your control. And you're gonna have to you're gonna have to you're deal, have to with, deal that. with it. Yeah. You know, and that was really, yeah. you know, and and we're all vulnerable. Yeah. And for me, it was it was really a life changing time because I realized I had come to grips with like, yeah, you know, I'm not really as cool as I thought I was, and there's a lot of luck, and I've been given a lot of stuff, so I can feel bad for myself, or I can start to. It gave you amazing perspective, and is it safe to say like it helped you embrace some of your vulnerabilities? Yeah, yeah, and and, and be willing to deal with stuff that was hard because yeah, you know it it was it was hard for every person, not not just me. All of us had to really come to grips with things, so it was it was tough. That, you know, but that's that's when you can um, sort of find out who you are. Yeah, that was a and I was younger i wasn't in the business world yet i actually was finishing high school and i remember it was the first time it's the first time i remember consciously like really trying to practice empathy but not realizing what i was doing at the time because one of the girls that i went to high school with and um her brother who my my younger brother played basketball with their father was on one of the planes and passed mm. and died um oh God. and so like trying to come to grips with what yeah. they were going through yeah like i hadn't really dealt with I hadn't dealt with loss um, like that. Like I'd lost my grandfather, but it was yeah. di- it was different to see someone so young being taken away yeah. and so many people be taken away. So I think that collective practice of empathy, like yeah. many people trying to empathize with many people and, and like collectively sharing and working through a difficult situation. Um, the silver lining is like, I feel like that's what brings, you know, that, that brings people together. Yeah. 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 Uh, looking for silver lining in that. That is what it is. That's it. Yeah. You got to go to that playbook. It, it happens. So yeah. you can, uh, the, the reality is, hey, it just happened. And now what do you do? Yeah. Right. So I think, um, you know, we made some fundamental mistakes after 2001 as a business. Um, and me personally, one is I didn't really um, process what was happening. You know, I didn't like, hey, this is a thing. The world's just changed. Mm-hmm. You know, it will never be the same. Yeah. It's, it's that that's yeah. done. Yeah. And you need to change your business. Yeah. And then we we were too we too easily followed in our business the crowd of what everybody else was doing. We tried okay. to we tried to play it safe. And we didn't um, both of those things were mistakes. You have to understand what's really happening, right? Whether it's good or bad, you need to get your, your head around what just happened. And then you need to in those times make bold moves too. It's not a time to it's not a time to do what everybody else is doing because you just sort of like who moved my cheese that book it's everybody's just following the same cheese yeah so in 2008 when things so we had built up yeah, I was gonna ask you yeah. what you learned from 2001 so not that, not to do that and then in 2008 how you yeah. managed through that so we, we sort crisis. of built, we sort of built our business saying okay we'll balance it so we'll have biotech and we'll have you know tech okay and they will never both crash at once. How could that possibly happen? We'll be safe. Mm-hmm. And then 2008, everything imploded at once, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so the, the good news in our business. So um, you learned, you hedged and yeah, the hedge didn't matter. Hedge didn't matter. <laughs> and in our business, um, you know, 50% of the companies in OA were done within six months. Okay. Um, 50% of the search firms, everybody, yeah. everybody sort of weak was 
Yeah. You know, and so what what the first thing that we did as a team was, and a lot of those guys are still with me, men and women, um, and some started right before the crash too. Um, we understood what happened. We understood the, the world has changed. Jobs that were eliminated are never coming Not back. Not coming back. Not coming back. Um, guess what? There's, um, you know, data is becoming a big thing now. Mm-hmm. So in addition to the, the, the world imploding, the economy imploding, we're also now being hit with this new threat that um, data can do a lot of the things that search firms did. You know, LinkedIn emerged. It, mm-hmm. it was suddenly easier to, to perform without us. Mm-hmm. So we said, oh, this is sort of interesting. Like we're being hit on two sides here. Yeah. So we've got, we've got big data in the cloud that can sort of make it easier to operate without us. We got the economy collapsing. Um, let's, yep. let's not do what everybody else is doing. Yep. And so instead of like expanding and going after everything, we, um, we tightened and we started to, um, you know, we, we flipped our business and, you know, instead of we were a contingency firm back in 08 and then we started asking people for money up front. And so it's like, okay, so we're going to ask for more, for more of a commitment from our clients. Yes. Cause that's what everybody's doing. Mm-hmm. We started really paying attention to our clients needs and asking them what they want. I don't know why it took me so long to figure that out, but yeah. we started like really like focusing in and we started to, instead of being afraid of this data tables, we said, we got to embrace this. Yeah. We've got to embrace technology. We've got to embrace research. We've got to, and we started to reconvert our business. So you embraced uh, agility and, and customization on a client by client basis. And yeah. you leveraged the disruptions on the tech and data and the platform side yeah. to your benefit. Right. And you utilize those disruptive technologies in your customization of solutions for right. your clients. And then prayed yeah. every night we didn't go we wouldn't go out of business. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then we began to move forward. Right. And, and right. the team began yeah. to move forward. And you know, those guys and women, I mean these are people that, you know, you've been to war with them. Yeah. And so when, when bad stuff happened like we've we've all seen it. Yeah. You know? It sounds like the the Bowden groups had almost like gone through like is this like the third act? Yeah. It was like the first act from yeah, like 94 to 2001, yeah. 2001 to 08. And then is like the last decade yeah. plus. This might of. be like the fourth act. This is like the fourth act. Yeah. And then we, the fourth act's the best act. Yeah. Um, and then we started to, you know, we flipped our business. We, we became uh, a retained model and we also started building out teams. Um, but then we decided to say, okay, what are we most passionate about? And what do we, what do we love to do? You know, um, and let's, you know, you, you don't, if you're doing it, doing everything's not a strategy, right? Right. So let's, let's get a strategy here. Yeah. Let's begin to really embrace. And we said, okay. Clear productization yeah. of, of a right. business. Yeah. So we said, you know, you know, what we love, we love, we love innovative companies. Mm-hmm. We love Boston primarily. We, we love companies that really help people advance people's lives. We love being involved with organizations that help improve people. Mm-hmm. And let's focus just on that. Yeah. 
And so we, we, we walked away from our big, our clients that were big companies that we found boring. Okay. We focused on, you know, primarily our community mm -hmm. where we get referred things from all around the country. But yeah. we, we said, we, we want to be in this community. We want to be impactful. We focused on the startup companies, on the venture back companies and the, the, the pharmaceutical companies that were just beginning to realize they had something. And we just want to be serve them better than anybody else. And that's what we're sure. going to focus on. And the other stuff that's just going to be noise to us, if it's not innovation, it's going to be noise. And we, we begin to walk away from some of the big things that we had and really focus on our people. These were, this was the, these were the, these, these things that we did were so complex that other people don't want to do them. Mm -hmm. You know, we, I was talking to a um, private equity firm and they said, you know, the bigger firms don't want to do this because they say it's too hard. And it's, that's exactly the reason we do it. That's, that's why to do it, yeah. Because we like it when, we like the hard stuff. Yeah. They can go and do the, they can do the um, CFO role of uh, a large consumer goods company. We don't care about that. It's, yeah. it's not hard. Yeah. It's not, it's not like fun to us. Yeah. We want to build a team. We want to build a company. We want them to come to us and say, I've just got $20 million. We can do this thing that will help, you know, help sick people or help, you know, um, make it easier for entrepreneurs to get capital. Help yeah. us, help us work through this. Also from a macroeconomic standpoint, just thinking about it, like you're servicing the, this like layer early stage, you know, earlier innovative disruptive stage of companies that are going to disrupt all those big top heavy bureaucratic companies. Right. So those, the CTO, I would argue like the CTO at a big company is, you know, not going to happen next year, but several years down the road away from like many disruptions happening from where all that shaky ground, all these different nuanced businesses right. that are propping up with these new distinctly, um, you know, unique um, use cases and needs, right? It's, it's more difficult to satisfy these new and unique needs, right. but they're propping up yeah. for a reason, they, right? They need, they, they come to us. I need someone to do something that's never actually been done before. Yeah. Find that person. And that's a fun job. <laughs> that's, that's, probably, that's a lot more fun than, hey, yeah. can you get me another CFO from yeah. a consumer process? It's like, yeah. you can do that yourself. Yeah. So it's super <laughs> valuable. It's also really fun to be in that. I mean, that's why I, I love being a, sort of a, a third party sort of, you know, marketing and, and media agent for early stage companies for that same reason. Yeah. Every day you wake up, it's like, what challenge? Like, there's always a few. You just get constantly yeah. throwing curveballs. Right. You're like, all right, cool. Like, all right, I got to take this yeah. one opposite. I'm going to watch that one go by, internalize it. Let right. me think about the next pitch. Right. Uh, but it's really, it's just really important to um, to to really lean in to yeah. all, to what you don't know, yeah. but also have fun. I, mean, I That's probably, so from a recruiting standpoint, even for your own business, Mm -hmm. I imagine that's why people come and work with you. That's right. Right? Because they get to face cool and unique challenges and not just doing cookie cutter recruiting. People don't come to us because it's an easy job. Yeah. They come to us because they because every day we are we are, you know, helping grow a company that's gonna disrupt things and we're helping advance people's careers. And it's really important that we do a good job because we're talking about companies that are really counting on us, we're talking about people that are really counting on us. And I think we do a good job respecting that and really trying to, you know, provide the best service we possibly can to them to help them do what they want. And really thinking about their strategy as opposed to just a transactional 
bang. Yeah. Which is why we do multiple roles in virtually mm-hmm. every company that we work with. Yeah. So walk, walk me through, walk like viewers and listeners through like sort of one of those more exciting relationships with maybe a, um, a private equity or, or a venture, venture capital firm yeah. where you're, um, you know, what's, what's an engagement look like, you know, now in 2020 yeah. uh, for, for, for Bowdoin Group? So we, we have so many um, cool and just important um, VC firms that we've worked with locally. I don't want to mention a specific one because there, we have a number of them that are really cool mm-hmm. and important. So I don't want to call it. So I'll just give out. Yeah, I'll, anecdotally. Yeah. Yeah. I can even take yeah. one outside the outside yeah. of Boston because because we'll, you mentioned um, you mentioned the Mayo Clinic, which right? was from a Silicon Valley yeah, firm. So, so that yeah. got that got referred to us by A16Z. Yes, Jason Horowitz, yeah. Which, you know, some of the founders of Facebook and yeah. just like the big tech people. Yeah. And, you know, so now we're in a situation where we've got, um, you know, we have a good relationship with them. We find people for them, for their team. We find partners for their team. We work with their portfolio companies. And we also, um, so, so, and then, you know, you think of the Mayo Clinic, that's in Minnesota. And mm-hmm. think of everything I described in your yeah. head. Yeah. Mayo Clinic's the opposite of what I've described. It's yeah, a big company. It's, large. Right? it's it's a it's a brand name. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't think that an individual placement would mean anything to them, right? Um, and we certainly have no presence in Minnesota at all. We've done just a few right. positions out there. And so they called us up and we were like, okay, um, thank you for calling yeah. and referred. We don't really work with large companies. We don't work with hospitals we don't really work in minnesota minnesota yeah um yeah yeah. and they said well this is why we called you this is why we referred to you because we Mm. need people that can think differently and we are starting a new innovation team and we need a president of that because we think the future of healthcare is going to push outside the hospitals and we think it's we want to make a major investment in it and we need people to to break the norms in the way we're thinking not fall into the same line so we've been referred the Bowdoin Group, because we think that you can think through this process with That's us. That's great. That's a sign of your culture and your ethos, bringing in folks into your, like those, the right bigger companies into your funnel that actually are suited for you. Right. And as part of that, that mindset and the approach you have that's unique, obviously to your business, but is also part of it that they're interested in recruiting talent from Boston to Minnesota. Is that part of it also? Uh, like trying to. Yeah. Is, so. Um, is that, and is that where the the person came from? Or? The person did come from yeah. Minnesota. He did come from Boston. Correct. Yeah. So th- these people exist. When they started it, they didn't realize they quickly did. Cause we told them right away. The person's come from Boston or San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, like the, the, the saturation of talent in those is, is, you yeah, in San Francisco and Boston is so dense that, that that's where the, that's where the person will come from. If you're an innovation yeah. in healthcare, you know, we've just got some great firms here and, you know, like, like Oak is just a, a great VC firm that we work with and they have, you know, they work, their portfolio companies, most of them that we work with are in, you know, Boston or they're in the Valley, you know, yeah. we work with some down in Atlanta, but that's, yeah. so that's where the talent is, yeah. you know? So, so I think, and the, the cool thing is, when the search started, they wanted it in Minnesota, and now there's a high likelihood 
they'll build out in Boston. That's great. So that was going to be my next question. So I don't know, but we're hoping. Yeah, I was hoping. Hint, hint. We're hoping. We don't know. But but yeah, because if they want the talent, they're going to have to do it. And they need a local activation sort of agent to help them. Yeah, like. Yeah, start to so plant we're seeds. Hoping. We're hoping. We're we'll some germination. I'm planting a seed now. You should think about Boston. Yeah. But yeah. Let's let that germinate. Yeah, we'll let that germinate. But yeah. I, I don't know what they'll do. But but we're, but right, if, you, if you're thinking innovation especially, yeah. you, I mean, what better places than Boston or the Valley? Well, that's interesting. Let's kind of double click on that with um, with other... Um, you know, you know, VCs or 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 um, banks, or and just you know, maybe big companies that aren't that don't have a presence in Boston. It seems to me that the Bowdoin Group would be a particularly interesting, advantageous partner in sort of coming into Boston in a similar way that Amazon has, in a similar way that um, you know, I think it's become pretty. Um, publicly available at this point that Spotify has even like been moving in more into the city, but there's interesting companies that are realizing the, um, the Boston community is, is a, in the, the, the connection and tethering to academia, the talent, the sort of the, the layers of innovation uh, surrounding AI and machine learning and how it can impact all categories mm-hmm. being so dense here in Boston. It's particularly um, strategic place to be, even if you're in the media business or advertising business and you need to be on Madison Avenue in New York, mm-hmm. right? The Delta Accelerator at MIT has a bridge between Boston and New York. Right. And it's companies in New York that need to have a presence in New York, but that have large talent pools that are working right. in Boston. So with all that said, mm-hmm. many trend you know that's a general trend that i think we would agree on i'm just curious like are there is that an area of growth for you where like folks from outside of boston are coming your way to help navigate this community well well it is it is it is i i think remember so we're focusing on the startup companies so when amazon comes in you know Jeff, if you call, I will take your call. I'm just, I'm just saying this, so don't, don't take this personally. Yeah. But Amazon is not who we're trying to work with. Right. We're trying to work with the startups, the A level, the B level people. Yeah. So yeah. when those companies come in, mm-hmm. yes, we that's we get a lot of that business, mm-hmm. and we we work with them in San Francisco, and we work with them around the country. But that's just remember who our primary people yeah. are: the startup companies. Yeah. And yeah. the startup, you know, and the pharmaceutical companies that are that maybe coming over from you know Europe yeah. and want to plant here. That's who we. That's yeah. who we work with. Yeah. How is the um, how's like the biopharma community in Southern California? Because I've had some friends move out to like North San Diego County for that. Is that where does that fall? Like it's San Francisco and Boston are the top two, or, or, or I guess. Could you give sort of like a rank order? Like where where are the other pockets after yes, Boston and SF? So yeah, so it's Boston, San Francisco. Um, I think New York is way behind. Okay. But they're trying to catch up. They're just not as sophisticated. Um, you know, there's manufacturing down in North Carolina. Okay. Philly's starting to get everything. I think the thing about Boston is, which is unique and is in Kendall Square, you know, New mm-hmm. Jersey is the, Big slow mm-hmm. old. I mean, mm-hmm. again, yeah. just like walk into these buildings, just like oh my god. But anyway, yeah, I digress. So, um, Kendall Square 
is this just amazing energy. mix of yeah. energy and yeah. closeness. Yeah. I mean, take like um, involved with life science cares, Rob Perez and Sarah McDonald. You know, we have we have um, 160, about 160, um, you know, board of advisors that are C-level people from different pharmaceutical companies all coming together, you know, sending their pharmaceutical companies, sending their people, you know, out in charity work, funding different things, funding, helping us fund charities. There isn't one in San Francisco yet. I mean, Boston embraced this like right away. Hmm. You know, Philly's embracing it, San Diego starting too. Mm -hmm. But Boston just got like, hey, we can band together as a team and help each other mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. you know, help the community. Mm -hmm. You know, that's just a thing that Boston gets. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it's, yeah. it, it just, Life Science Kids has just taken off yeah. in, in Kendall and Boston and in a way that it's, I think it's impossible for that to take off anywhere else in the country because. Yeah. Everybody's rooting for each other. And this is the thing that's really cool about Boston is, is it's very easy to have someone give you advice and people are doing things disruptive. And it's amazing how even competitors will share information and root for each other. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. how we, how well the venture community partners together yeah. and how it's just, yeah. you just don't see that any place. I, I no. never have. If yeah. it is, I don't know where it is. No, I haven't seen it. Uh, and I sp spent a good amount of time. I lived mostly in primarily in Los Angeles and spent a lot of time in San Francisco. And it's so it, it's always seemed to me unique to Boston and would show up in the media world. It would show up just in like the in, in the tech in the tech world. Um, when I you know early on did some interviews with um, Lucy Maffei, who at the time was at Boston. Oh, now she's mm -hmm. a reporter at Boston Business Journal. Um, Clement Casalot, yeah. tech stars, and I'd ask like, you know, ask them questions. But folks that aren't from Boston, aren't from Bedford or Methuen, like yeah. us, um, you know, what is it about Boston though? For Lucy, like you've reported in Chicago for TechCrunch, you reported in DC for NPR. Um, you're Italian, and your parents have come over and visited you in each city. How do the cities compare? Oh, by far, Boston's the yeah. friendliest. Right. My my mom like like it's and she and she you know told some beautiful stories about yeah. like exemplifying that both for herself and when her parents visited, and um, you know ask other others others questions like you know maybe Clem and some others have said the same thing about mentors like the the likelihood of uh, someone successful in in Boston in the business yeah. world to mentor right. the next generation is extremely high right. and it's way above the mean of what it is in other tech communities. Right. And it's actually, you know, it's, and to your point about collectively sharing, you mentioned having lunch with Jody from mm -hmm. NABCA. Like mm -hmm. I found myself gravitating towards Jody and, and Ari Glantz at yeah. NABCA and Jesse Bardo at SVB and, um, and, and Devin and, and, and Lily and Michael Scott and this underscore crew where we're recording today, which we're very grateful for. Everyone's sharing right. and collaborating and talking about things right. together. And it's real. it's just even, even just what we're doing right now, like right. Boston speaks up exists in the way it does because many different yeah. players are like, yeah, this is good for the community. Right. Like let's all, we'll That's all right. play a role. And there's so many more layers of that, that, that will come and unfold over time mm -hmm. folks. Uh, and so I'm just, I'm just so grateful for that. Right. Like having moved back at, Two and a half year old daughter. It's a good time to be in Boston. My, and my my wife and I moved back, and it's funny. I talk to people like, "Oh, you miss LA? You miss the sunshine?" I'm like, "Sunshine's great. Gets kind of old. 
Like you blink and like a couple of years go by and you're like, <laughs> shit, like a decade and, and things are slow. So it's like, oh, I got shit to accomplish in yeah. life. Yeah. And honestly, right. people are getting shit done in Boston. Right. And they're working with each other. That's like, right. It's awesome. Right. And you know what? It, it's it's 20 degrees outside today. I know. I'm smiling. But it feels like Boston. I'm having a blast. Right. It feels like Boston. I'm making new friends. Right. Like this is great. So, um, so yeah, that's that's kind of like a little you know tangent of mine on on that community that yeah. I I felt and 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 moving back. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like just in the in how much easier it's gotten to create. Um, capture content and share with the world. Yeah. I think we're only getting started. Yeah, I think all no, these parts. Yeah, there's a lot more that we can do yeah. to kind of impress upon yeah. the world. Hey, Boston's doing some really interesting yeah. things and comes together in really interesting ways. And it's not to say other, like other communities could learn a lot from Boston. Yeah. And yeah. so like that, you know, sharing. I think yeah. things like Boston speaks up not just with the community right. and, and many of the storytelling initiatives yeah. that any VCA has planned and whatnot. Yeah. Getting that to. Um, innovation communities around the world, I think ultimately helps Boston, right. but also it's, it's good for other people and other right. communities, which, right. which seems to be something that we're aligned on. Right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So for, um, so 2020, 2020 trends, trends. what do you, in what's coming through your funnel right now? Like new, are you noticing any new, um, categories within it can be in the healthcare space, like biopharma that are just, um, you know, sort of like ringing a bell off in your head, like, wow, this is trend alert. Uh, this is, this is something new and interesting, especially since you work so much with a and B early, yeah, early so stage I, companies. I, that, um, I mean, so in, in Boston, we've got, we've got a burgeoning FinTech community, mm -hmm. um, which sort of feels like the biotech community did earlier. It's very close. It's very close knit. Um, you know, everybody sort of had this infatuation with blockchain, yeah. and I, I think there's, there's still a lot that can be done with that. It seems to be moving more into AI. AI and everything is a trend. Mm -hmm. um, we're seeing, as we discussed, a lot more about you know this sort of biology and technology merging together is is a huge trend. Um, I think, and then the other cool thing that we're seeing is these amazing biotech companies that have been developing, you know, primarily, you know, different gene editing, CAR-T products, um, you know, AAV therapies, they're starting to come to market now. And, you know, with, you know, now we're talking about diseases going away yeah. and this has just been dream. Now they're starting to come to market. Yeah. And so, and this is all technology based. So yeah. I think, I think those are that's sort of the areas that we're seeing in, in Boston. Um, cool. Another another question <coughs> that maybe you could shed some light on. Are you, are you familiar with um, Chris Ilsley and North Shore Interventures? Yeah. yeah. So I chatted with him on the podcast like some months back. Um, and interestingly enough, like the coming center is a half a mile from where yeah. I bought a house. And I didn't realize there was such a big um, sort of, uh, you know, innovation yeah. wet lab right right, right there uh, and he and when I was chatting with him he was, he was he was talking a bit about the um the demand the growth that they were experiencing and the demand for more little nodes innovation hubs yeah. kind of outside of Boston too yeah right not just like 128 Metro West but 128 sort of North Shore Cape Ann just curious have you noticed um 
more of your clients that are like in other places like Boston recently went and featured like a bunch of companies in Lowell. Like there's, there seems to be like increase almost like a, a bit of a, in a Silicon Valley kind of way, like more of a um, broader sort of innovation community expanding out a little yeah. further. Or is, is that something you've noticed? I mean, definitely, you know, it's Somerville sort of out yeah. in that assembly square. I mean, let, let's call it what it is. Kendall Square dominates. Mm -hmm. You know, the seaport is sort of in, in biotech, yeah. and the seaport is second. And yeah, and then you've got sort of that Waltham area, um, right? And they're still in, it's still seeing much more pressure to grow yeah. in those hubs than it is in the in the other mm -hmm. areas. I mean, obviously, it's huge as traffic issues and logistics. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it remains to be seen. Can the North Shore? I, I mean. I wouldn't bet. I, mean, I don't know. I mean, I think yeah. the, the action's still in Kendall Square. Yeah. You know, it's, you can see it, but certainly Waltham's got a bunch of stuff. Um, yeah. And I'm really excited to see it growing in other areas because um, it's certainly a quality of life thing and much cheaper. Um, yeah. Just traffic is, that is the one particular, I would say. <clears throat> I don't know if it's the Achilles heel, but it's certainly a drawback. It's, 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 it's an a issue. way of putting it. It's, yeah, it is, it's, it's mind-numbing. So let's say traffic is the Achilles heel yeah. of Austin right now. I have no uh, idea I'm getting home. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, like, I set up and I'm interviewing someone after this yeah. and just like, I'm like, I told my wife, I'm like, I'm not going to be home oh, before. Yeah. Like, when I do something later in the day, I'm like, I, I won't be home before our daughter goes to bed yeah. tonight. I like, texted my wife, I'm like, I, just, I have no idea what's happening to me. Yeah. I don't have the slightest idea. I'll see you. I'll see you sometime this weekend. Order sushi yeah. tonight, Indian, whatever. It's I'm down. Boston. Yeah, exactly. That's Boston. Like we yeah. accept it. But it's just, but the way that we continue to grow, like, it's not, it's not going to get better. No. It's get worse before it gets better. You're saying. Yeah. So, <laughs> moving Side off of traffic, track, yeah. yeah, moving off of traffic. Something, I, something happier. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about, I really like your, your last, your answer to our last question, which I always ask, like, what's a you know, big problem facing the world? And I love the thoughtfulness you put into this, um, in it, because it's, it's a truly unique answer. I think this yeah. is interview 36, and I haven't had this, yeah. this, this answer. Oh. But you talked about aligning incentives. Yeah. Can you, can you chat about, like, speak yeah. to that? Yeah, I mean, I could have tackled the easy problems like traffic or world hunger. Climate change, climate yeah. Climate change, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I could have done that. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> no, no problem. So, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's boring. So, yeah. I didn't, so you know, I, I think, and I'm hoping technology can do this, and I'm hoping that we as a society can do this, but, like, like the human race is a really bad team. You know, we don't play well together. We don't, we don't optimize ourselves. Yeah. And, you know, you have a situation... You know, so you, you, you have Boston, take Boston, where you've got, you know, this crazy demand for talent. Mm -hmm. And we somehow don't let in people that are, you know, just a half mile outside of Kendall Square that are very talented. We don't give them the resources to make our companies grow. And so the organizations like Hectorverse and Life Science Cares that are doing that, you know, we, we destroy the environment to, to nobody's benefit, mm -hmm. you know, look at the healthcare system, you know, it's easy to pick on the pharmaceutical companies and some of them behave really badly. I don't think the Boston ones do, but the Scarellis of the world, you know, but how many people, when a drug is sold, how many people that aren't the pharmaceutical company make money off that product? Right. It right. doesn't help anybody. Right. You right. know, and if we could somehow 
and I think AI mm. and information, a lot of that comes to work is how do we, how do we, how do we provide vision, you know, and, and, and clarity. I think if we get a, somehow align ourselves and try to behave in a way that it's all in our long term's best interest, we'd start to fix some of these structural issues. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one to ponder. Um, yeah, think about that. Put well, that on your, try to drive home today. I will. I mean, but part of part of what you said there too, like that, kind of edges into something that I've chatted with with a bunch of guests. Is sort of, but yeah, the, like folks that are so close to Boston, but may as well be three thousand miles away. That they, there aren't the system enough, doesn't let them in. There aren't enough bridges for them in. Right. Like I, I chat up everyone. I'm, a, I'm an extreme extrovert, so like I'm talking. Like, it's interesting, you know, chat, I chat up with a, a Lyft driver not too long ago. He was from Lowell, super interested in like healthcare and tech. He was like 24. He'd been working since he was a teenager. I got his whole story between Logan and Beverly. And I was talking about Hub Week. So I was like, oh, well, you should check out. Oh, what's Hub? There's all these things. There's yeah. all like, the, yeah. like that's at least that's successful, right? You would think. And I've chatted with Brendan Ryan, the executive mm-hmm. director of Hub Week on the podcast. And it's just like, wow, we're not, we're actually not connecting to folks that are five, 10 and 15 miles away. Like we're literally just like, we're really tight. Like it's a tight community, but, and, and we are and like, but in a, in a, in a scaled way, we're missing all these pockets of talent. And so it's super important to like, you know, Marty Fuller at Boston Plan for Excellence mm-hmm. that runs the Dearborn STEM Academy. Mm-hmm. They call Roxbury sort of like the, mm-hmm. the tech innovation corridor of yeah. Boston now. Like it's great to like the programs we're doing in the city to help underserved populations in Boston, but there's underserved populations in the suburbs too. And so like, let's just focus on like, it's like, like Massachusetts to start and create more bridges. We have a great talent pool here. We're yeah. just not giving it the opportunity. Yeah. And just more, and you know, bridges and connections yeah. between. Yeah. Right. It's, so I, I love that. I love that whole answer. Like that particular, like they want to double click on that back to you. Just like, because I totally, I feel that. Mm-hmm. And I want to help address that yeah. over time. You um, can, Zach. You can we will. Yeah. We can, right? Yeah. We're, we can use uh, this platform to get the word out. This platform, which, will, right. which hopefully will we'll only grow right because the goal is to leave you right. know to make the world a better place right. for our children how many kids do you have I have two kids two daughters yes. how old are they my daughters are 18 and 23 amazing yeah two and a half year old daughter two and a half yeah the glory days are just beginning just beginning yeah. and i'll tell you what i would have an, like i will have another daughter in a heartbeat i like the what fathers and daughters club. i know right it's I, a, after i had emily yeah. i was really wanting to have another daughter yeah it's and, it's it's nuts all my uh Three, three of my groomsmen. We are like all had. We all had daughters, yeah, and yeah. Uh, and it's nice to be back there, yeah. raising them together. What will you get into? What do you get into the Melville family on a weekend in January? A cold weekend. Uh, yeah. So my daughter Emily is. Um, she works at Improvada now. Okay. In, in HR, and she was. Um, she's living at home right after school. Um, my daughter Hannah um, is home from Wheaton College. Okay. And she spent the past, she wants to be a teacher, she spent the past couple of weeks actually um, shadowing in a program in inner city school in Boston, oh, cool. which she has loved. Um, so, and I have my mind toasted from JP Morgan. So I'm hoping on this weekend, we um, watch something on Netflix. Nice. Yeah. What, are you binging anything right now? So, um, 
we are, what are we binging? We're binging. We, we started binging um, The Morning Show. Okay. Yeah, that was pretty good. That seems that's pretty on good. The, that's on our list. Yeah, that's good. Have you, um, have you checked out Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? Yeah, on Amazon. Kids have I don't know. It's fantastic. Okay. It's a good family show okay. too. It's really yeah. I we was recommended and my wife and I started from zero and just made it to the third season and like yeah. in like two and a half <laughs> weeks with one of the weeks being I was in Vegas okay. in L A. So in yeah. like a week and a half we watched a lot of that. Yeah. We um, watched The Irishman. That should have been a mini series. Oh geez, it's it's too like long. Three hours. Too long. Three and a half hours. Don't try doing one setting, people. Yeah. Do it. Break it up. And then just be careful who you tell you walk, you didn't watch it in one sitting, too. Because, like, oh, I, had, gotcha. I had one friend exactly. say, that, oh, oh, I, I couldn't oh, yeah. watch it in one sitting. It's like, oh, then you didn't get yeah. the full effect. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's it's too fuck. It's yeah. too long. It's too long. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I got the full effect. Yeah. Um, well, Dave, this has been a pleasure. Yeah, awesome. Really appreciate yeah. it. Thank you. Looking forward to getting this out yes. to the community. Thank All you, right. Seth. Cheers, Boston. Bye.